share a little bit about your writing process when you sit down to write something, anything for that matter. Could be poetry, could be a book, could be an essay. How does it begin? So usually I've noticed that when I uh, want to, like, you know, I feel the idea of a poem coming on, I tend to uh, attempt the first draft by hand. So I let myself, I'm, I think I'm most primal when I'm writing a poem and I like to begin in a notebook. And then once I feel like I've, you know, done um, a couple of playful versions of that, then I kind of transfer it to my laptop. And then it becomes a little bit more of a serious edit. You know what I mean? For an artist, the minute you become comfortable is the minute you're no longer searching for your truth. If you're not throwing away some of your work, you're not evolving as an artist. Eggs for breakfast, just nameless eggs, with untamed yolks flailing into what could be butter but isn't. Teethed by an up-end smile screaming into what could be sky but isn't. Precautious and perfectionist, moody but self-modifying, severe yet silly. My guest, Dipti Anand, is many things, but if you will ask her who she is, the most direct answer you will receive is poet and writer. Hello and welcome to another episode of Between Us, a very, very special episode coming from Delhi um, in conversation with Dipti Anand. So, precocious and perfectionist, moody but self-modifying. How would you say you are? Are you all of them? I think so. I would say that uh, um, especially in this uh, time of multiple choices, it's harder to choose. So I always feel like there's a um, and and but to how one tends to describe themselves. So okay. I find it's easier to understand myself on a spectrum and sometimes those spectrums can be opposing. So Dipti, uh, first of all, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's my absolute pleasure. Let's begin from the beginning. So you were born and raised in Delhi? I actually wasn't. Uh, I was born in Kerala. Mm -hmm. uh, my parents, because of my dad's, uh, my dad's business, uh, we had a base in the north and in the south. So they happened to be living in the south at that time. And that's where I was born. And then shortly after, we moved to Singapore for a few years. Then we moved back to Kerala. Then from Kerala, we moved to Chandigarh. Then from Chandigarh, we moved to Delhi. And then once I got to Delhi, I had my... I think it was my seventh birthday. And then I was here till I left for the US. So um, do you have memories of the first seven years? Um, the places, the people? People, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, places as well. Uh, I actually was able to visit my family home in Kochi uh, just last year after a really long time. And it was a very surreal experience because a lot of things have been kept the way that they were. Um, things like my grandfather's room, my grandmom's room, my childhood room, you know, where my parents used to stay. Um, and things definitely came flooding back, though, of course, it's attached to a lot of uh, vagueness. It's more emotional, I would say. And I think that helps fill in the blanks. 
you turned seven when you were in Delhi, right? We were mm-hmm. seven years old. When did and based on whatever I have read up, whatever material I got, um, I believe you started writing at a very very early age. I right? did. Yeah, I was nine. Uh, you were nine, right? Uh, what led to it? I mean, you know, I think. Um, I think that I was always someone who felt a lot and um I don't know maybe you know at home we were always encouraged to read and words were always uh, a part of you know our experience uh, my parents also have their own versions of what they like to read and in general we're quite a conversational household like that mm-hmm. um so I feel like maybe it was probably reading that helped me sort of jump into the other side of things um but i kind of started writing because i felt i had something to say um and i think a theme that has sort of continued on for many years has been just sort of reflecting on my own existence and not to you know make it sound uh, so narcissistic in that sense but um all artists are I mean fine. I know and also I know that narcissism is also you know I'm using it very loosely there's so many attachments to the words so I'm I'm using it in the most colloquial way but mm-hmm. um I think that 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 um subjectivity was always of interest to me of course I didn't define it like that at that time I was just writing how I felt um and in fact something I'll share is that the first poem I ever wrote was called smile uh and it was um an a an a b rhyme scheme i remember i was really into rhyming back then i don't like to rhyme so much anymore mm-hmm. and um yeah it was uh it just i don't know where it came from but i just to me it was a very potent emotion that just found multiple metaphors so um you said you had a lot to say what did a 9 year old have so much to say like what? i'm saying that um the experience of i guess um i mean you don't like i'm saying you don't necessarily have um the the, the right words at that time to mm. even you know explain yourself and your feelings but you know that you know observations are being made you you know you know you can sense what it means like to be heavy or to feel light in response to things but you don't have the right words for it necessarily like i remember i wrote another poem about like i think it was shortly after it was called salty cappuccino i had never had a coffee in my life i don't know where maybe i liked the cadence of the word cappuccino or i was fascinated about it being something that was out of my reach like if i have to go back and think um you know go back and read that poem and and think about what i must have been feeling i think maybe at that time i was just uh maybe i was fascinated with things that were out of my reach or i didn't understand um and i attached a lot of unexpected meaning to them you know interesting because my own experience of writing started because i refused to go out as a kid i think all i think until i was 12 years and my parents were worried that this guy doesn't go out to play doesn't interact so my parents decided the best way to probably uh make me reach out to the world was to start journaling start reading and as i started doing that uh, there came a point in time when i went up to my parents and said okay i want to know more about this place and they said the best way to do that is to get out of the house start meeting people start learning so for me 
it was more of a form of expression. While growing up, were you introverted in that sense, or was it that you didn't have too many friends, or what? How did that happen? I mean, how does a nine-year-old decide to just write? You know, it's interesting. What you're saying is that for you, it was a way to kind of be more into the world, and for me, it was a way to step away from it, because I always had. I mean, I, I, I was really lucky. I've always, you know, had a very full life and always been surrounded by a lot of great people and always had a lot of friends. Um, and that's not necessarily, you know, it it can get overwhelming for me. And I think that's something that if I have to. uh look back at my life it's something that i must have experienced from as long as i can remember and i think it just maybe became a space where i could engage in expression because i think expression is at the heart of it um but in a way where i was able to find a space or create a space to engage more deeply with myself and i recognize that that's something that i still hold important you know what did you read growing up especially through your school life you know i used to read um i used to try reading things that were a little bit ahead of my time like i tried reading victor hugo at some point and i couldn't like right get through your school it. days i mean when i was i think i must have been like i don't know when i got it maybe i was in the ninth grade or 10th mm-hmm. grade middle but, school yeah but it was i mean to be honest i did i just i couldn't get through it i didn't i don't it just everything washed over me in a way where suddenly i was like okay i don't like this feeling of being intimidated by something that i love um but i i i read a lot of stuff that i think a lot of kids ended up reading when we were growing up i read harry potter i read i used to love sweet valley um i think i read them from middle school all the way to high school like you know i used to love mallory towers those mm. were a lot of the very yeah i think those were the children's books that i really gravitated towards you read now too right mm-hmm. did you have a reading process in what sense well for i mean right from my growing up days when i used to read i would always have a notebook next next to me when i'm reading anything and i started reading a lot about history science growing up i would always make a little bit of notes and whether it's a self help book whether it's a novel i would always make a little bit of notes so i my reading process is i would read a book two or three times the first time was more to just make my notes about you know something which i feel interesting then i would go back and read the notes and then go back and reread the book and the third time would be the notes and the book itself and form it so there was just a process for me uh which was something because i think i was a slow reader and a learner as i was growing up and um so maybe i made that as a process for me to understand for me to absorb what i was reading um and i think after a certain point in time i realized that i also need to read for fun mm. and not just make my notes so do you have something like that when you read or is it just open a book and just go with the flow i mean i'm really jealous that you're a note taker because it's something that i would love to like create from like as a as a practice but i just i don't know i i think I resist it because I am someone who likes to go with the flow when I'm reading something. In terms of a process, I guess I have uh, I like to read multiple things at the same time. Um yes. like different genres because honestly what I tend to read can be quite heavy. Mm. Um so if I'm reading something that's like a very intense philosophical sort of book, it's not the kind of book you're going to sit and read cover to cover. You know, I'll read a mm. chapter 
let it go for a few weeks and then kind of just see whether that stuff is if i'm resonating with it um if if i'm able to recall and i feel like for me recall is associated so much with understanding um that uh if i'm just not able to like you know if i finish reading it and i can't tell you what the chapter was about a couple of days later i feel like okay you know i have to go back and read it again so that sort of um for me uh makes me understand what i you know dictates my rereading process i guess but in general i'm not someone who rereads a lot of books um i i don't know i just feel like there's so many books to read <laughs> and my list is just so long uh i think uh I I I just don't end up reading them. It's interesting because you know what I sometimes do is I read something and um it leaves a mark on me and I go back to read that book 3 years down the line mm. just to see uh, and I the books which I have shortlisted those in the, in that particular order somehow I feel that I see those book very differently 3 years down the line. Mm-hmm. Uh one of the books which profoundly affected the way i conduct my own life uh and i i it's really a shame i would say but i read that book during covid was the 5 am club by robin sharma and uh it was a very very and you know i i've heard so much about him but i've never wanted to read him and when i started reading the 5 am club somewhere i um because i'm also i also write mm-hmm. uh there was always a conflict within me as as a reader and a writer you read and write are there some tips which the reader dipti anand gives to the writer dipti anand when she writes they do say that it's always a good exercise to read the genre you're writing in um but i feel like you know it's it's like one of those things where you're like drink more water you know like it's it's good like it's good advice in general um but i feel that to when you're um when you're writing you know if you're writing let's say a science fiction story maybe you don't need to read other science fiction stories maybe you need to read more science you know at that point in time so but I, but as a reader when yeah. you read a book of another author do you also sometimes feel i wish this probably would have been written differently i me the writer would have probably addressed this differently do you do you have that no i feel like i suspend my belief and i um just i'm happy to go along with it and then i'm happy to also know at the end whether i felt satisfied or not with that journey so i give myself that space and um i i mean everybody writes so differently and i think that's the thing that i really enjoy interacting with is how this person chose to tell that story and knowing that for example if i had written a story about a character similar to that that the details i would have focused on would have been entirely different because the details that concern me may not be the details that concern that writer but that thought does come come in when you're reading no 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 this is interesting because those thoughts do come I into mean, me i think that's why i toss the editor side of me off at that point and True. yeah so um writing at 9 and then growing up the process continued the style changed style changed um for sure and also i think the the relationship with writing changed mm-hmm. um because i think throughout till i went to college um i think in college then suddenly maybe it was you know the level of what i was learning changed in a good way things became so much more intellectual and engaging 
Um, and also I was finally in a space where I was being able to focus on the arts. I didn't get so much of an opportunity to do that in school while I was here. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, all of that was a very natural alignment for me. Mm-hmm. And I think at that time, then I was um, uh, very stimulated. So I, I was writing, but I was writing in my writing classes. I wasn't writing so much outside of that. And um, I was just, I think, consuming a lot of information, experiences, culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you say college, uh, that's the Babson College? Babson, and then when I was at NYU as well. So both my programs have had, I mean, they've been uh, uh, interdisciplinary, but they've, you know, I've always pursued writing um, within them. And um, so can you talk me through the whole experience at Babson? Yeah. I mean, it's a business school and, um, but it's, it's a school that, you know, is uh, very well celebrated for its entrepreneurship program. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reason why that is important is because it, it inculcates a culture that's very creative. So the energy is very creative. People are um, finding ways to, you know, discover their passions. And then, of course, you know, uh, for many people, they kind of went on to um, uh, articulate that in the in the shape and form of a business. But so many people I went to college with also went on a very creative path. So it was more about like a mindset that you were engaging in and and uh, and uh, cultivating. In Isn't yourself. that a very interesting combination? Being creative, being an entrepreneur. Yeah, it is. It's it's. Um, There's a lot to learn uh, from both sides. Both That's sides. why I I never felt um, restricted. Now there was a certain period of time where I had to take uh, business classes. I had studied commerce in school, so it wasn't unfamiliar to me. But very quickly, I also got the opportunity um, to sort of choose all my art classes as well, uh, my humanities classes. So, I mean, from my freshman year onwards, I was um, always very mindful of what um, humanities classes I was doing. And then when I reached my junior year, and that's the time where we sort of had to pick concentrations and mostly people around me were like, okay, like finance and strategy and uh, those types of things. I was like, okay, I'm going to do entrepreneurship and I'm going to do literary and visual arts. You know, so um, in in a way, it was really kind of a blessing to make that choice in a space where many people were not, yeah. uh, because I developed very close relationships with the department, with my professors, because, you know, they were so excited to have someone also feel as passionately about these things as they yeah, were. Yeah, because uh, that's a very, very odd combination, isn't it? But they fed off of each other. And like I said, from my entrepreneurship classes, I kind of, I learned... Um, uh, I I learned versions of of strategy or like how to sort of you know think ahead or how to f- identify connections or gaps between things and I think in a larger sense that groomed me really well for being able to wear multiple hats in the future. NYU. Yeah. How how did that transition happen? So I knew very uh, I knew that I wanted to do my masters immediately after my undergrad. So no I, gap here. I didn't take a gap year. I did take six months because I decided to give myself a six-month break. Uh, so I went in the winter of 2013, I think it was. And um, it was an interdisciplinary arts program. And I studied a bunch of things. Uh, you could call, you could sort of, um, it was very elective-based, sort of. You could, you know, pick whatever you wanted. So I studied some contemporary art. I studied literary theory, philosophy, 
some complete classes, writing classes. So it was like you could sort of construct your own curriculum within the graduate school. That's really, really cool. With, with As a part of a larger program, of course, I think they've announced since I've been, they've changed the name to, I think it's the Center of Experimental Humanities or uh, Experimental ha Humanities and Social Engagement. It's a program mm -hmm. within the larger graduate so school. So you also had behavioral science? Uh... No, but okay. for example, some of my my uh, my friends were taking like gender studies classes and things as well. So there, that is so cool. There were options. It was you know, and people were sort of trying to um, focus on the lenses that matter to them. So, for example, if someone was studying gender studies and complete, you know, they'd go ahead and do something else with that. Mm -hmm. uh, in that vein, a lot of people went on to do their PhDs, which is still a looming desire for me. Ah, I was about to ask you. So, masters and then PhD. I would love to, or another master's. I mean, mm -hmm. I like the idea of studying. This, do you feel people who want to pursue writing as a full-time profession or as a career, um, they could probably follow the same process you followed? Or do you think they should probably just... Because you know, there are so many writers who probably haven't taken arts and humanities and they've just gone on to become authors and writers. But someone who truly wants to feel writing from within, do you think the career path you chose would be a... A good one for them? I think it's hard to say uh, that, you know, I don't think one size fits all. Yeah, but you must have thought through before you pursued this this, this whole thing. Or was it just, let me do this first and then I'll see how things move? So one of the moments that I, a pivotal moment for me was when I realized that writing was something, was not something I just did. Mm. It wasn't a hobby. It was who I was. And that also came around when I was in college. Could you explain that a little more, who I was? So I think that when I was younger, it was, you know, oh, Dipti writes, you know, or I write, or it was just, you know, something, it, it felt like, uh, like a hobby, you know, someone else was at that time, you know, learning to play a sport. I was choosing that time to, you know, write an essay and enter into comp like school competition or something like that. So it didn't really, it felt like an extracurricular activity. And uh, I'm glad I didn't take it that seriously at that point because I wasn't uh, obsessed with what it all meant. It was just fun to do. And it felt very natural. And then later on in college, I think that's also a time where you start to think about, okay, like how you start to think about how does all of this make sense? What sure. am I going to do? What is my purpose? And I think for a while I I was, I didn't imagine myself to be, or I used to feel um, hesitant to embrace this, title of a of a writer because I uh, I didn't really know what that meant you know I didn't know it always felt sort of out of reach and it felt like you know I would just sort of have to go and like live on my own and not really you know be cut off from circulation and that was the 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 young version of me who had like these you know faceless authors and just their words and then sort of making up these stories about them and them feeling so out of reach and um but I mean, I quickly realized that that was really wrong because contemporary writers are so plugged in to what life is, you know, and in the cultural circulation and they're responding to the world, they're living in the world, they're experiencing it, but they're finding ways to do that in their in their own ways. So I think that moment, um, I I realized that there was there was a way for me to be a writer that was my way of being that writer and it could be who I am. Do, do you feel this? Uh, I sometimes feel the contemporary writers are more reactive and responsive um, rather than trying to create a world 
uh, I mean, it's more like there is this world and how do we respond to the things happening around it? It's just, I always felt that there is less of creation and more of how do we plug ourselves into it? You mean like finding something very topical to yes. write about? Yes. I think it might be genre-based, uh, in my opinion. Like if, it, and I am very passionate and, and um, what's the word? I do play favorites sometimes because I love the literary genre. And mm -hmm. that tends to be... Which is fine. Which tends to be more focused on, um, on characters and then, you know, it's a character-driven mm. plot in mm. that sense, right? So the stories tend to feel a little bit more timeless because they're about the human condition at the end of it. If you have to think of, you know, really be reductive and find the couple of things that connect them all. Um, those stories are very much about, you know, someone will find something to relate to, you know, the the arc is such. But um, a lot of other genre fiction, it can depend. The way people are writing romance novels now is very different from how they were written back in the day or the kind of romance novels my mom used to read, you know. Now there will be very, very um, uh, important and topical things that sort of construct or shape, shape their construction yes. of the story. So I think... The Victorian era had letters yeah. and birds flying down. Yeah. And now you have the swipes. So Yeah, though I'm I'm happy to that, you know, we're trying to move away from the Victorian hangover because, yeah, I think it's... Are, are you a purist at heart when it comes to writing and when it comes to... Can anyone be... I don't know. Can anyone be like a purist about anything in that sense? So what do you mean by purist? Exactly. For the ease of understanding, I would say being very authentic when you write. Um, not influenced by circumstances, not influenced by the period you are in. Um, you know, sometimes you want to write something. Um, and I think we, we live in a world today where uh, we take offense to everything around us. So uh, being able to write what I feel without really being... Um, actually without judging myself first, you know, when I'm writing. So that for me is being a purist. Um, like the other day, as I'm just finishing, I just finished my first manuscript. Um, Amazing. And, yeah. Um, and uh, shared it with the publisher and I got few notes and points from her. She said these, these things. So she marked a little bit of things for me saying um, contemporary uh, notes for you. Um, and stuff like that. Um, and I realized that those notes were more from a perspective of be mindful of today, mm. be mindful of how someone would feel um, and all of that stuff. And I'm, 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 I'm all fine with that. But when I'm writing something, it, it, it's, it's come naturally from within me. And I, I'm not sure if, um, if that's something which you do follow where... And I'm, I'm not talking about the commercial diktats of writing. You, know, mm. you reach a stage where you know what you write as a nine-year-old and what you write as an author today is very different because there are market forces which right. kind of come in. So when I say purist, it's, um, it's more of free-flowing of uh, your emotions coming through when, you are, when you've written whatever you've written. And they are not dictated by, you know, how would it... Uh, how would X, Y, Z react to these? I don't know if I've been able to make No, 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 I, I get it. So thank you for uh, explaining that. Um, 
I think it's very for me I'm not I'm not visual sitting and visualizing my reader in that sense. Maybe that's a good thing, maybe that's a bad thing, but I think the when I'm working on something it's very important for it for it just to be the work and me in that space. And I think if I start to think about any anyone else I'll start to overthink it and then the authenticity will be lost. And I think that is the beauty of having time and the option of multiple drafts. I think that's the beauty of having an ecosystem where you have someone like an editor to discuss those things with because you know um it's it's an interesting time for the arts where i feel like there is a lot of attention and excitement and a lot of very very amazing things that are taking place now and um the audience just seems to be growing you know in terms of it's not just now uh niche it's like you, i just i see it broadening in so many places um and more and more people are into reading from a young age reading right? and just vis- visiting art and cultural places and you see that like you know it's 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 really it's caught on in a way that i feel like even 10 years ago the pulse wasn't the same True. and given that um there is a lot more uh, of the back end that's sort of trying to also you know keep up with everything so even now for example there's uh you know 10 years ago an author's platform didn't matter as much as it does today and if people say that it doesn't matter i think that you know i mean i'm not someone who thinks that it should matter uh but i also kind of understand it you know in terms of like uh the larger ecosystem that we're in the these um if it's not it's not necessarily an environment where even i feel artists would be satisfied if they were making things that eventually found no engagement do you know what i mean i and i'm not trying to i know that could be like i'm not trying to take away from the satisfaction one receives from creating something and from um um you know producing it for the simple fact that it exists i think there are projects that have that nature but i don't think complete practices any more fit into that you know in that way for me my understanding is that times have changed can you explain that last bit so when i'm writing i don't necessarily like to focus on other people or even um even the world at large i guess even though the work itself is uh you know my my writing tends to think about those larger questions but when i say that i mean i at that point kind of want to forget you know that like um about anything else except me and 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 the work and the reason i say that is because you know i don't want to risk overthinking something because at that moment you can't chance to lose um an authentic expression you know and i think that you know a lot of people call it call that state uh, by different terms some people will call it a flow state but you're just sort of um allowing things to come out uh, i'm also not someone who plots too much in advance again it depends on the scale of the project when i was working on my first book i ended up um creating a little bit of an outline but i've seen other writers outlines and they can be so much more detailed so again it's it's very much about uh your own personality and 
also being able to manage yourself, you know, and I know that I'm someone who tends to be an overthinker. And if Explain I... Explain to me that. So if I... um if I start to move into a tangent and let's say that tangent has a negative complexion to it, then I can tend to really sort of, you know, start to, it'll be, you know, scenario A will be a little bit better than scenario scenario B, then scenario C, and then it'll just keep getting progressively worse, you know, and then eventually I'll be like, why am I even writing this? So I don't want to um, allow myself to reach that point. You know, I would rather give myself the space to say, even if it's bad, it's just me, you know, even if I decide to delete this, uh, this work by tomorrow morning, I need to give myself the space for it to even come out. So in fact, um, I do have a lot of unfinished pieces from over time. Um, and over, like, they're just, you know, in these innocuous folders on old hard drives, and I never threw them away for this reason. Because at some level, I feel like it's nice to kind of go back and read work that uh, you know, never really made it out of its own uh, own uh, own beginnings, and um, sometimes it's a nice way to track how things have changed in terms of my writing style or uh, the 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 things that I'm interested in writing about. And other times, I think it's nice to sort of look at it and be like, "It's okay that I didn't finish it." Okay, you know? I know some of them have not made out of the folder. Would it be possible for you to share something? From one of those folders? Um, I would not be able to recall something verbatim like that. Um, no, that's okay. No, I mean, I used to, I, I wrote like a very, I don't even know maybe how to categorize. Maybe it was just, it was just a short story actually. But it was, um, it was embarrassingly, um, you know, very, uh, Princess is saved by, I mean, again, I'm going back to like the early, early days. I must have been like 12 or something when I wrote this about like a princess being saved by a prince. And it was very like, you know, in the Arabian desert and like all of that. And um, I'm really glad I have that story. I'm really glad that I kept it. It's not something that I resonate with anymore or huh. would ever want to see the light of day, not for any other reason, but because it's just. Um, you don't believe in princesses being saved by prince anymore? No, I mean, of course, now we're going to talk about those contemporary plugs and, uh, you know, your thoughts do refine and there's so many things that, uh, of course, are, you know, uh, problematic over time. But it's not even that. I think it's just the, um, it's just maybe the writing, you know, and I think maybe it was, um, it, it's not, I wouldn't even say that it would be bad. It's just, it's, it just feels like, it doesn't feel like me. Mm -hmm. It feels like a story. It it could be a good story. It could be a bad story. But it doesn't feel like my story. Do you know what I it mean? It doesn't feel like your story today. Or when you wrote it when you were 12. At I that point was in... always a little bit of a romantic. So I think that it, that way it is like, you know, it's not something that I wouldn't have resonated with. In, in, or that, you know, I, I, I don't want to associate with like that. But it it's not something that... Um, it feels like I'm writing a story for someone else in that, okay. in that story. I get that. Yeah, you know. Anything in re recent times which has not gone out of your folder? Mm, I think a couple of poems maybe mm -hmm. that I recently wrote that are still trying to find their... Anything you want to share? Themselves. 
Just nothing, a few lines. Nothing that I would be able to remember, to be honest. Okay. Yeah, genuinely. Okay. If I could, I, I would have. Okay. So, things which are not coming out of your folder, things which have already come out, share a little bit about your writing process when you sit down to write something. Anything for that matter. Could be poetry, could be a book, could be an essay. How does it begin? So, usually I've noticed that when I uh, want to... Like, you know, I feel the idea of a poem coming on. I tend to uh, attempt the first draft by hand. So I let myself, I'm, I think I'm most primal when I'm writing a poem. And I like to begin in a notebook. And then once I feel like I've, you know, done um, a couple of playful versions of that, then I kind of transfer it to my laptop. And then it becomes a little bit more of a serious edit. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, then I start to feel like that I've, I've removed, I've taken a step back from the poem. And now I'm looking at like, okay, would there be another word that would work better here? Versus when it's in the in the notebook phase, it's all about the feeling, trying to figure out what it is that I'm trying to capture, what it is that I'm trying to say. Um, and um, yeah, like just, you know, what what the purpose of the of the poem Do is. Do moments play a role when you when you start to write like, Okay, now is I'm I think this is the time to write. Or do do those happen with you? Like um like when I started to write my book, it was more of a fact that my friend said, You've been journaling all your life. Why don't you just put all your journals into a book? And I'm like, No, that's not. This is not about just, you know, making all my journals into a book. I need to really feel that and and I think that the whole phase of the pandemic when we were all shut in some way. Um, I felt this is the time for me to, you know, pick bits and pieces of my journal and, you know, write them into a book. But even when I started doing that, and I have the same process of writing down, it's a nightmare if you have to type them back. Um, but uh, what I wanted to ask was, like, for example, when you begin to write, is there a particular moment where you say, okay, now I'm ready to write? Probably it's in your mind for a while, but, you know, okay, I feel now I need to put pen into paper. Are there such experiences? Or is it like, I want to write, so I'll just write? I think it's one of those marathon versus uh, sprint sort of situations where I, it's not necessarily a moment, but it's about like, it's about the muscle and stamina. So I feel like I end up, uh, because I do spend a lot of time in my head, I, I start to kind of, that that feeling does, you know, emerge. And I I, I don't know necessarily the right word to use but for me it often feels like some version of being over aroused overwhelmed you know there's a heightened sense of feeling and at that point I know that um that there is like if I so chose to wrote uh, sorry to write at that point in time that it um you know some like I would be able to not only process it for myself but something um uh, like I, you know, I'd be able to sort of connect it to a creative impulse that I'm having, and it would be a really good alignment for for me to start working on a new piece, or you know, to really be in the thick of it. Um, and sometimes it's even, you know, sometimes I think of a word. I'm a big first line person, and sometimes if you know I, a first line comes to me, then I keep thinking about it. Then I'm like, who said that? You know, who or where did that line? Like, what is this line trying to connect to? Where? Um, if it's something to do with the weather, what, where, where is this particular moment of weather taking place? And mm. then that sometimes becomes like the starting point. 
So either uh, I think the stimuli can vary. Um, and I think also in terms of whether it's a poem or an essay or those things, again, it's also like what's feeling most uh, natural in terms of, um, uh, you know, something that I'm I'm reading or consuming or something around me. Or if it's, uh, uh, I think that as as writers or all creative people tend to have consistent obsessions that sort of keep finding new forms mm. um, over time. So I have my own bag of those and then I have other stuff where I'm Are there like, any specific examples you can share? Um, I think I've always been very interested in um, the act of creation. And it's something that I've followed a lot even when I was writing both my... Um, both my theses, I, I mean, that was, of course, a very academic approach and a very philosophical approach to understanding this relationship between an author, a reader and the text. Um, and I'm not, you know, really trying to dive into that or, you know, prove my theory in my life or whatever. But um, I think that this 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 inner world mm -hmm. and the intensity of the inner world, how we relate to um, how the world is not how it is, it's how we are. That's a really, you know, a popular phrase that I think we tend to come across in a lot of a lot of philosophy. And I really subscribe to that. And that's what fascinates me. And I think of creation as something that's done consistently, you know, like mm. creating an interaction, creating a um, creating a moment. And there's that type of agency that really interests me. Mm. And then I kind of want to, um, you know, explore what that looks like for different characters, mm. you know, or different emotions. Mm -hmm. And then I like the idea of animating the world, like giving objects agency or slowing down time, like doing things that you can't necessarily do in in real life. Like if you're having a great conversation, time will still pass. And then you'll be like, oh, I wish, you know, I wish this conversation could have lasted four hours. Mm. And you can do that in a story if you want to, you know, you can play with time and I, I like, those are the things I like doing, you know, giving someone an opportunity to have a great conversation for four hours and a certain kind of reader would enjoy that, a patient mm. reader, a sensitive reader. And sometimes someone might be like, oh my God, like it just went on for pages and pages and pages, you know, did she really need to, to do that? And it, but I think that's the beauty of it. Like, I don't know about the other conversations, but I'm feeling we're having a wholesome <laughs> conversation. Yes, we are. Something, um, uh, pertinent and uh, and sensitive being a women author um do you um how much responsible do you feel that uh, your voice do you feel at all that way that your voice uh, um the way you speak the way you read the way you write um has an impact on um young women who want to, who, do you feel that way? You know, it's a, it's a complicated question because I think that, you know, there was a point in time where, um, you know, there wasn't so much of a focus on, on the various intersections of your identity, right? And now we're mm. living in a time where that focus uh, is a lot more prevalent. You and know? I think so, it's an important uh, uh, area to focus on, right? And it's a response also to like what's happening culturally and, um, you know, just uh, you're you're also a product of the times that you live in and mm -hmm. you're growing with those times. And of course, you know, all those cultural influences play a big role. So 
for example, if I internationally being like, a, a, you know, a woman of color, an author of color, um, a lot of these different and these intersections, of course, you can go as minuscule as you want and you can go as macro as you want. And it's not something that plays into my mind all the time. You know, sure. I'm not actively aware of it in that sense. And I don't mean to say it in a way where I'm not aware of the aspects of my identity that accord me a certain privilege to forget about it from time to time, because that's one side of it. And the other side is that, um, you know, certain aspects are so implicit already in me that um, they're probably just naturalized into the way that um, I like deal with a certain kind of subject matter or whatever. So I feel like, for example, if someone had to, um, like, if I had to, maybe I can go back in and analyze my work a certain way. Maybe there are different ways for me to, you know, be responsible about. It's not just about the time speed. I mean, I, mean, I was having this great conversation with um, my best friend. He lives in Atlanta. I spent um, almost a decade and a half uh, living in the state of Georgia. Off late, there has been a lot of talk about Black Lives Matter. And you know, and we were having this very interesting discussion. And I said, Ben, uh, all lives matter. And he said, yes, all lives matter and Black Lives Matter. Uh, and then we started talking about gender. We started speaking about... Um, and this conversation came up about, uh, yes, or you write as a writer. And you don't really look at the reader's identity because anyone can go out there and buy a book and read the book. But I think uh, that there are certain things which we felt was okay, you know, but it's not okay, right? Uh, so I feel, and, and that was the point of me asking that question. How, how much, does that add a sense of um, additional responsibility? Do you feel the pressure that because I'm a women author, I probably need to be, uh, you know, um, need to, you know, have, you know, put my voice out there in a way which actually inspires a lot more. I think that that's... I, I'm not sure if... No, I'm, I, I hope... I understand your question, but I don't think that that's... Um, and that's totally your yeah, point of view. I mean, it is, it is. I mean, I'm, I'm, and I, again, I, I don't, I don't feel comfortable speaking on behalf of large groups of people. Sure. I feel sure, comfortable, yeah, I feel comfortable you know, representing myself. And that's why I was talking about intersections because there are variations, there can be overlaps and there are things that people might connect with you on. People might feel disconnected from another aspect of your identity. And I think that uh, it's, it's, it's so much pressure, you know, to, to, to take on that responsibility. Am I a sensitive, responsible person? I'm, yeah, yes. I trust those things about myself. I don't think maybe if I was, you know, someone who started writing 40, 50 years ago and now was trying to write something that felt more relevant. Maybe then I would have to push through things in a certain way, but I'm growing up in this time. I've grown up in this time. I think that um, a certain degree of self-trust is important and I trust my, I trust those aspects of myself to know that I will choose to deal with something sensitively if I so choose to wrote, write about it. And in terms of, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with boxes. I don't necessarily want to be put in a box. I can understand how that helps 
uh, you know, curate reading lists and help people analyze things and say, I wonder if this lens is a great way to enter this work. And I'm all for that. That's the beauty of interpretation. That's why it's such a, uh, you know, open and varied uh, discipline. But personally, I don't. I mean, I wouldn't, uh, I, I don't, I don't feel that responsibility. And I, and in a way it's, it's not because I don't care. I don't have, you know, important ideas about or, you know, connect with the larger discourse. I do. But I, um, I, I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel the active pressure to do that. And of course, I think there's an aspect, you know, there's an understanding that all our identities are political and all art is political and, but for me, that's a lens with which to see something. There are multiple lenses with which sure, to see sure, something. Sure, absolutely. You know? Yeah. I completely agree. Okay. Um, coming back to reading, writing. Any favorite authors growing up today? Any contemporary author who um, inspire you? There's obviously a whole long list. And mm. then it could start from like, it could start like from the likes of like Oscar Wilde to... Um, if you know, if I think about contemporary authors, in fact, I'm 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 reading a lot of essayists recently. Um, I just started this book by um, by Ross Gay, mm-hmm. um, and it's called The Book of Delights. It's delightful. It's really it's basically him like chronicling a delightful moment over mm-hmm. the course of a whole year in his life, especially as a response to the fact that the world feels so bleak right now. Mm-hmm. I'm reading. I'm reading him right now, but I've noticed that off late. I'm really enjoying reading essays. Um, I, if I think about like other authors that I really like, I really like Zadie Smith a lot. Um, I've read a bunch of her books. I'm trying to think. This is always that question: is that like I always feel like I should be prepared. You know, every morning I should wake up and be like, "These are my five favorite authors." If they don't forget, <laughs> and then every time someone asks me, I'm like, "Hmm." I start to visualize my nightstand. And mm. think about the books that live there. Have you read this book, uh, Normal People? I have, Sally Rooney. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, how do you find her? I think that she's, I mean, uh, I really do enjoy Irish writers. Mm. And um, I think that uh, her book, I mean, I enjoyed it because I really like this whole nitty gritty of the interpersonal. I yes. find the intimate to be a very charged space. So I feel um, the way she writes, I, I just feel that she's... Not just as a reader, I feel as a as a as a writer, she's there. Like she feels those characters. So for me, uh, normal people is one of the most beautiful book I've read in recent times. Um, uh, Chimamanda Ngozi is another mm. of my favorite author. Mm-hmm. Um, and there there is this. So we had this um, literary read during Women's Day last year, and uh, we had about five of us come down and read one book written by a woman author. And I chose Chimamanda's book where um, it's it's basically, a, it's kind of an essay where she writes a letter uh, to um, her friend who asks her, how do I raise my daughter Is as a feminist? Is it we should all be feminists? Is that the uh, book? How really? do we raise our daughter as a feminist? And so it's like a 13 or 15 pointer where she says how you raise. And the way she defines feminism in the way she says how you raise. I, I just found that to be um, very wholesome in the way. These are some of the modern authors who, when I get to know that she's writing a new book, I get very inspired. I said, I have to just pick up a copy, you know? So yeah, 
coming back to your favorite contemporary authors um i mean your point about uh, sally rooney is 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 great and i think that's that's something that you see in a lot of contemporary writing as well right like the um the authentic writers are taking aspects of their lives the negotiations that they're trying to make um whether it is uh you know uh you know being a part of of uh you know a certain fabric whether it's like you know you're you're more in you know you're either more in the mainstream or not in the mainstream or whatever those negotiations might be for 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 you uh you see a lot of that as being the driving force behind mm. contemporary literature i mm. feel and um for me it's interesting to just see different uh i i'm 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 drawn to the stories i'm actually most drawn to voices i would say sure. and that kind of helps me enter different worlds and i mean i it's it's really hard like i i like to read widely i'm not um you know i'm not someone who is like okay now i'm going to read only uh you know south american authors or like sure. I, it's it's sure. I I I I'm not that's not the lens that I usually use it's mostly like okay sometimes I'll enter a region or I'll enter a genre like maybe it could be like magical realism maybe that would be the entry point into that space and it so happens that then I'm consuming a lot from from that region um but you know it's just I think um uh, like even to your point about like okay like women's author women or, or like reading women authors and stuff and this is something that I encounter a lot in the art world as well that mm-hmm. uh it's a definition that's used for you know female and so identifying artists but you never say male artist you know it's just a group of artists mm-hmm. and i think that uh that's something that um it is i understand it's problematic it's like we're all artists you know we're all writers so i think even just jumping back a little bit to what we were discussing i think that it's it's the labeling that's a bit overwhelming and it's, it's i i, I do get that dipti but i also feel that for a uh, you know it's coming back to the point of privilege you know today uh i think we are at a stage where at least in uh, the large big cities although you know i think there are still challenges out there but um everybody seems to be on a kind of an equal footing but for a very long time um women and certain sections of the society were not probably did not despite having uh, the capabilities were not were not able to express themselves the way they are so i see no i don't see that's problematic if we come forward and say women author or you know whether it comes to gender or orientations uh, that in no way um, you know takes away from them uh, who they are no i mean i'm not, i agree with you in in one way because i feel like it's not it's not the it's not the act of naming or what the naming is yes. that's that sorry it's it's not it's not what the definition is mm. it's the it's the need for definition right and i think that this is um also i was i was having this conversation with a really great artist that i work with and we were talking about identity politics mm-hmm. and we were talking about what it was like in like the 80s and uh what it's like now and then he was actually drawing very interesting parallels between mm-hmm. the two time periods and he was talking about how uh the need for cultural markers or these um identity based markers is so much more now versus 
a couple of decades ago, the idea of assimilation was the way to sort of create community, right? And now it's like there's more of a focus on um, um, the aspects of, you know, just really leaning into all the aspects of you that define you. Yeah, but I think when you talk about those assimilations, I think um, there, there were many sections who probably got just... No, of course. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just, uh, and I feel like we are, uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be disparaging. I actually feel like I, I, I was curious by your comment about whether you feel like in, in urban environments, whether things are actually on an equal footing, because I just think that the mirage of that has been mastered at yes, some level, you absolutely. know, it's, it's creating that illusion that, mm -hmm. oh, okay, you know, we're so much more progressive, but when you really start to uh, unearth things or when you hear local stories or, you know, you know what's going on, you realize that there's, you know, there's an ideal version that helps everybody sleep at night, but the ideal version is not the reality that mm -hmm. we're living, which is why that conversation with this artist was so interesting to me because, mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, we're just having debates, right? Or like, right. we're just discussing ideas and, um, and, you know, it was fascinating to me that there's such a cyclical aspect to identity politics and how things that felt urgent then feel urgent now versus suddenly for like some 40 years in the middle, maybe it wasn't as urgent. And those are the things that I find interesting about like how we're trying to, when, we, when we're talking about like how we identify who we are, how we uh, connect with ourselves and the kind of stories we want to tell. I think, you know, the word politics or politics, that's being force-fed. Mm. Identity I think that's the focus area should be. We tend to bring in politics everywhere. I mean, I think it's just the way it is. Um, poetry. And I have been... <laughs> politics to poetry. Yes. Uh, I, and, uh, and of course, you know, historically, if you look at it, polit uh, poetry has played a very important role mm -hmm. in, um, in making a difference. Um, and I have the first few lines which I read as we introduced you in our show, um, especially this one about uh, the eggs for breakfast, which which was about um, how much of you is there in those lines when you talk about um, the unpredictability of life, uh, the chaos, the confusion, how much of it, how much of Dipti is there in those so this is an interesting example that you've pulled up because in this, this poem, I was actually um, responding to a photograph by an artist. And in that photograph, there's a really young girl who is um, walking through, like she's uh, walking through a forest and it's just completely like, it just looks like a very, um, very wild and raw place. You know, there's just like leaves and stuff everywhere. So uh, my response, I mean, I was thinking about, I was sort of just thinking about what that girl had might have done in the morning or where she might be going or where she might want to go. And uh, I'm someone who starts her day off with breakfast. That's a very big part of mm -hmm. my morning. And I think those are the sorts of cues that when you ask, where are you in the poem? That's where I would say uh, I came. I mean, that those are those those points where I feel like, okay, that's, I can see myself there, right? Mm. And and breakfast being the sense of life. But also just sort of being like some form of like, it's a, like, you know, um, it's something that it's, it's a pleasure of life that 
you know, one wants to take for granted. Can everybody take that for granted? Can everybody take butter for granted? You know, there's so many like wanting to take these moments. I mean, from from my perspective, looking at uh, at something that I have access to so freely and then imagining what it would be like to not have access to it so freely and what meaning that could take on, what someone's life could be like if, if, um, you know, if, 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 if it was a novelty and then what else could that person want that could be a novelty that's not a novelty for someone else. And that's sort of what I was deriving from that picture because, you know, she seemed determined to me, um, but she also seemed sort of lost. And then she was standing right in the middle of the forest and there was just literally like, she could have gone in like circularly anywhere, you know, there was just so much open space around her. Um, I was just, you know, thinking where, where does she want to go? And then, yeah. I've read some of your interviews where you've spoken about a great support system around you growing up, encouraging you to pursue what you want to. But at any stage while choosing your career or, you know, different aspects of life, was that, was that little girl in you in any, anywhere? I mean, I would think uh, that little girl must be in all of us, right? Um, that sense of everything seeming very grand mm. and larger than you. And there's a whole reason why people say when you, you know, spend time in nature for other people, it could be religion. For some people, it's it's like the corpus of literature. It doesn't matter. Whatever you define your larger world to be, mm. if you confront it at some level, you are filled with this sense of awesomeness, right? Mm. Like you're filled with awe. Mm. And I think that that awe is terrifying and also very inspiring. And mm. that usually is a combination of experience that we have when we're, um, you know, trying to find the next step or the next five steps. So you're at like a crossroads, you're making a choice between something. There's a combination of those feelings when you're actually dealing with worthwhile choices, you know? Um, so I feel like, of course, that, that little girl is in me as well. You went into publishing, right? You, how, how was that experience? It was, it was really, it was good. It was really interesting for me to be on uh, the other side mm. of writing. And then I feel like it was a very uh, great confluence of business and writing, right? Mm. So I feel like I found an opportunity to sort of work that side of my brain as well. Um, which is why, like, even now in, in the art world, I'm able to understand the larger picture as well, you know, in terms of, like, connecting with audiences or, like, um, you know, creating um, creating engagement. Like, I understand the need for those things, right? So, like, we were discussing earlier about the ecosystem. There's a reason editors exist. There's a reason um, there are curators and gallerists and so many different aspects of a of a creative world because there's a symbiotic energy in the best possible way it all works towards the same goal right so, so when a manuscript came to you how often did the writer within you uh stop you from chopping off or it's, or pushing back it's tough because when you like when a, when you're in an editorial capacity like working in an editorial capacity you have to find the best way to help someone else say the thing that they want to say. But you can't decide what that best way is. And that's quite challenging. And I feel like that's, you know, I mean, I um, I still kind of independently edit from time to time, but of course I don't do it full time anymore. And um, I think that 
that's something that I imagine grows with experience. So when you have a really experienced editor, you know, someone who off the bat is like, lose that. You're trying to say this, say this. Like that, I think that comes with experience because you need to very actively train yourself to not rewrite it the way that you would like to read it. You know, you're the... Uh, you're you're the first reader and you have uh, a lot more agency than other readers, of course, but you really have to work with the writer to get them to do, um, uh, to say what they're trying to say. Any particular moment in that, in your role as an editor, which where you felt uh, like an aha moment or, oh, oh this is... I'm, I think... Uh, the moments that were really meaningful is when, you know, you sort of flag something or you share an interpretation. And I'm one of those people that when I'm, uh, when I'm editing, I have like a thousand comment boxes, but it's not like everything is like a, a critical comment. It's like mm. me conversing with the manuscript and the author. So sometimes okay. I'll be like, ha ha, or like, that was great. Or, you know, I love that. Or let's see more of that. So it's just, uh, it, it, it can be uh, conversational. Um, and I think that the moments where, you know, where uh, you, you know, with someone responds saying that, um, that, oh, like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see that. Or like, I, um, I think that might have been what I was trying to say, or that's, that's the critical emotion in this scene versus this or something. I think those, I think what I've really enjoyed have been those moments where um, it felt like a partnership. I think that mm. aha moment was really joyful for me and uh, when I you know if I step back into my head as a writer I know that that's a relationship that I am seeking so I think it helped me understand the kind of editor that I'm looking for because I'm still looking to publish my first book and it's a relationship that I want I want um, you know and it has to be with the right person because it's an intimate one and you want someone to understand what you're doing but I've reached a point now where I'm like I, I would love that input you know and let's work on it together to really get it to where it needs to be so it was a short tenure as a, a, a in the editorial role right I mean like a couple of years it was a couple of years yeah mm. um, I was with uh, uh, Penguin Random House for about a year year and a half and then I actually left because I wanted to work on my book full time mm -hmm. And I was at that point doing um, like independent editing projects, some with Penguin still and some with other publishers. Um, and then I uh, sort of went into the art world maybe almost four and a half years ago. Moving into editing was a conscious choice. Uh, was it because you were already contemplating to write your first book? It was more that... At that point, I was thinking of uh, confluences. It just felt like a great combination of business and writing. And at that time, I felt that it would be a great space for me to, you know, um, it was connected enough to to writing where I felt that, um, you know, for me, those connections are important. I don't know if I am yet the kind of person who could do two very far off things. Um, so that I think it just it felt like that and then of course things just sort of worked out that mm -hmm. way and that's what helped me have that experience and now you are a curator at the Vadhera Art Gallery and um, if I'm right you also interned with them I did years. yes I did uh, many years ago I mm. was 19 when mm. I interned with them the internship happened just randomly or you 
really wanted to do. I wanted to spend some time uh just sort of figuring out like I knew that you know it was uh I wanted to be in a creative world I was just trying to figure out which world that would be because of course things are connected but each beast is its own you know um so I think uh, yeah I think it was a couple of weeks maybe a month or 6 weeks or something mm. at that time and um as a curator you get to work with different artists each having their own voice of expression how much of those do you imbibe within you when you work with these different artists in the sense in the sense uh, their thoughts their expressions the way they look at the world how much of that or or you try to detach yourself from and just purely look at yourself as a curator to market their work it's hard to be in the presence of so much stimulation and so many great ideas and you know seeing such persuasive expressions of of things that really matter to someone and then not be influenced by it right and um you know there was um we were recently working with uh, this really young artist uh, from sri lanka and um like her work deals a lot with the sri lankan civil war and um in that sense there's a lot of contextual heaviness to her work but there is such a palpable lightness about her as a person you know she's um and the many days that we got to spend together in person together i was just floored by that i was so uh, taken away with you know she would you know sit and be like dipti can i tell you a joke and i used to be like please like i would love to you know hear a joke and her general demeanor was just so um so positive that sometimes i feel like you know when you actually don't detach the artist from the art and you look at them both together it's even more fascinating sure. because you're like okay the art is you know she's talking about she's you know it's it's such a rich archive of something that was so important in the history of the country and then when you spend time with her you feel like um you know that's what a story of not you know of overcoming looks like you know and um it's i mean it's hard not to be inspired by that it's hard not to kind of let that influence your perspective and then you know look at how uh the connection that you maintain with your circumstances and where you're um allowing yourself to be uh overrun or where you're the one who sort of you know kind of saying okay no like i need to have a better attitude about mm. things and it's interesting because uh, the art and the artist um and the civil war in sri lanka which is very recent and what they went through Was there a specific reason why you moved into being a curator or was it just a natural flow you you said you know I've done all of this let me just get into it this and I believe you're also a a, a classical dance no, enthusiast I'm, no I'm this not this is not or was just liking no i mean i'm i or generally did my, did my team research team get this wrong they they may have over researched at a point of yeah but i mean i generally am someone who enjoys cultural events and um and the arts in general so i am happy like you know i'll enjoy the symphony i'll enjoy the ballet i'm not um i'm not, i wouldn't say i'm an enthusiast in that sense but mm. i'm very very happy to engage with yeah with the arts the note says enthusiast is it okay yes. <laughs> so <laughs> we we'll just drop the classical dance from yeah, yeah. so uh, getting back to uh curation so was it just um, your uh, is it dipti's way of looking at 
art in a holistic way? Do you do you intend to move beyond cu- curating and into something else? It was uh, definitely natural progression. Hmm. I think that uh, um, you know I. I I had interned with the gallery before as well and that's how they knew me and it just mm. so uh worked out that um you know they they called me and they mm. asked me you know whether I, what I was up to and whether I would be interested in joining the gallery and it just all sort of came together and then I think that um that is the beauty of flow where you know sometimes you you try something and you move into another space and you kind of learn what's what's working well mm. uh for you and i think that only comes with experience so yeah it was natural progression there was something interesting i read up dipti um a lick of night in the morning and i think this this is something which you curated for an artist and for a, it was a group show so a, a bunch of artists mhm can you can you can you share something about it because my when i read it i felt like um it's more about how our senses connect with art and how time plays a role is so that is definitely a a a a cornerstone of 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 the curation because i was very interested in in the sensory response viewers would have when they would come and and you know, interact with the work so whenever you know you have time and you kind of go and if you want to go see some images from from the exhibition the works were very very bold in and um dealing with very um intense questions you know and presented in an intense manner so the whole thing was definitely uh, there was a very palpable atmosphere i think in many ways um our senses and time plays a role um in every aspect of our life i mean do you not agree there mm-hmm. um dipti it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and i mean it <laughs> likewise thank, thank, thank you, you for having you for, me thank you for um and um before um we wrap up this episode for now i'm hoping to have you back soon that would uh, be lovely yeah yeah um there are many poems which which uh which you've written and some of them i've uh, researched and found but something which left a very profound impact on me is lungs right uh it's just there, there is something about it which i can relate to and i think um a lot of people can So if it's okay if you would be so kind to uh read it out for us I would uh, love to it's um it's a special poem for me as well uh because it's you know something that I wrote a very long time ago mm-hmm. and it's um Do you remember what what made you write this or I think if I think the the beginnings of the poem was was a personal experience mm-hmm. and um it just went through many iterations i mean like if i'm saying for 10 years i think every year i must have you know repeaked at it and you know moved things around but it eventually was it also because some things were changing in your life every year i think that i when i look at old work and i try to i i i look at it again then like like i'm an editor right i try and look at what was what was i trying to say then that i'm not saying well enough for it to have come through and i think that was the approach that i had i didn't want to deviate completely from from what the original feeling was but i'll read it sure lungs the day we finally met after not meeting 
Me, the butterfly with a quiet past. You, catchy like a tune. I recited an old story. Once I was barely here, mother's heartbeat held me. While doctor said I was a natural. While father called my two-be brains his. But I knew my birth had been a magic trick. Yours too, you are air. With you, I discovered how to breathe, dancing 12 steps in my tight, buttonless red dress, swaddling my body like saltwater pruned skin, though underneath, in a hollow cavity, filling with a drunkenness. The air again, I suppose, full bodied and heavy, moved inside me like a hurricane. That's so beautifully written. Thank uh-huh. you. Thank you. Um, as I said, Dipti, absolute pleasure to Likewise, have you. Likewise, thank you very much. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this conversation I as have, much as I do. Yes, um, yes. I really do not know how to wrap up this episode, but I would just say that um, each one of us must keep the artist in us alive, the curiosity in us alive, um, and follow our passion and dream um, as we evolve as a human being. Um, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Uh, until next time, stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you for listening to the Between Us podcast. This episode was recorded at Ferris Wheel Studio in Gurgaon. Our sound engineers are Rohit Das and Mainak Chakraborty. And our producers are Santosh Kumar and Arnav Doga. The video was processed by Viewfinders Edit. Between Us uploads episodes weekly, and we'll see you next time.